All right, all right. Good evening, Internet audience, and welcome to episode 22 of This Heretical Life. I am your host, Brian Thomas, and as always, I am joined by my much handsomer-sounding co-host, Adam Leggett. Adam, good evening to you. Good evening, Brian. How's it been going? It's been going well. It, it has been for a Monday. As you know, Mondays have a reputation, oftentimes well-earned. <laughs> right. But for a Monday, it has not been a bad Monday. Um, I got to do some of my favorite work as a legal clerk, a uh, favorite genre of work, which is just internet sleuthing. Um, mm. So going to Secretary of State websites and trying to track down businesses and trying to track down owners and agents of businesses. And um, it's kind of fun. I've been curious. Maybe I've asked this question before and I just don't remember what your answer was, but like you, you see those in movies or like my uncle is a lawyer. I don't know how much he practices anymore, but I, you know, you used to go into his office and he'd like, have a whole wall full of tomes, you know, of, of mm. Arkansas law. And I'm just curious, like how much of that is actually digitized where you, or do you still have to have those? Like where... uh, it's 90% digitized at okay. this point. Yeah. So um, now we still have uh, some books like Arkansas uh, model jury instructions. Um, Professor Howard Brill has a book, that's sort of the book on damages in Arkansas. And that's still an actual book. Um, and every year they supplement it with a little like paperback, very cheap insert that then gets, mm. they send out and then gets attached to the book. Um, and actually this year I'm, I'm helping with that. Um, working with professor Brill very on cool. that handy dandy insert. Yeah. But, but most of it, even like the Arkansas model jury instructions that we have, physical copy of and even the Arkansas rules of civil procedure that we have physical copies of, you can find them online. So yeah, most of it's, most of it is online um, at this point, even the stuff that we have physical copies of, you can probably find uh, digitally somewhere. I think you're still nothing quite as satisfying in a TV show or something like that to see people if they're lawyers or whatever, you know, they're sitting in a dark room with a lamp and trying to, you know, search for a particular uh, citing or a, a case to yeah it, that they looks, can pull into it, but it, it looks much more refined and much more sort of classic than <clears throat> you know staring sitting again in the dark, but illumined not by a classic like banker's lamp, but by the pale sickly glow of a <laughs> computer screen with like a cup of coffee and three crushed empty cans of Red Bull <laughs> next to you. Sure. And, uh, and then when you find it, instead of jumping up with the book, you're like, ah, where's that print button? Mm. So you can print it and then remember which printer you send it to. And then that printer's out of ink. So that the, uh, the, the classic, uh, there's the Jimmy Stewart movie where he does that. Like as, in the library long hours with his, his sidekick and finally finds the case that they need in a book. Um, that, that is much cooler than what actually happens a lot of times. Cause for me, like when I find it on the computer, then I go tell uh, my boss, like the attorney I work for is like, Hey, I found the case. And he's like, okay, tell me. And I'm like, ah, I found it. I 
can't quite communicate it verbally just yet. <laughs> um, give me a second on that boss. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, there's some offices that, that'll still have just shelves and shelves of books because uh, they've had them forever and, and sure. really not anything to do with them at this point, but they're not used. They're not used uh, much at all. Even like those even like old, the old timers uh, don't use them that much. Gotcha. Kind of like those old sets of encyclopedias that you see yes. in people's houses. Yep. It's like, you know, they're not updated, but I don't, I don't know. They're still kind of cool. Yeah. Well, um, today we don't really have like a set topic. Today is just sort of, I would say hot take Tuesday, but it's Monday. So hot take right. Tuesday on a Monday. And this, these are just sort of odd topics that are, we, we don't really have enough to say about them to justify a full episode. Not that we ever really do have enough to say about something to justify a full episode, especially not with these things. So just kind of, kind of smashed together like a, a potpourri of, of theological and social takes and observations. So we've got, we've got a handful and Adam, uh, Adam is going to start off with our first, first of several provocative topics. Yeah. So I was thinking the other day and then I was reminded of it ever earlier because of a, family chat that we're both in. But um, I was I was thinking about uh, how divisive our culture is right now and all that's going on and what seems to be the natural response. I don't know how healthy it is, which we'll get to in just a second, but a natural response of, oh, people call it tribalism. Uh, yeah. There's also this phrase that gets thrown around right now called cancel culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like how that affects people and how quick we are to say, well, this individual, regardless of, you know, any kind of content that they've created or how good they are at their jobs or anything like that, they did X. And because I don't like X or because they said Y, I'm going to just completely try to erase them from any aspect or part of my life. And I never want to see them in the movie again. I never want to hear about their name again. Like they're done. One Example from pop culture that, I don't know, rumor mills are still kind of flying at this point, what's going to happen uh, with her eventually. But Gina Carano might be a good example of that. Uh, mm -hmm. For those of you out there that are Star Wars fans, uh, she was a, a character. She played a character in a very popular <clears throat> Disney Plus TV show called The Mandalorian. And because of some of her social media posts, people went crazy. Right. Like they didn't like what she said. They thought it was offensive and you can fall on either side of that. doesn't really matter, but it was just kind of this huge push to say, Hey, we don't want her to be a part of this anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what she says in private isn't really private. And so if that's what she thinks, then I don't want her in my entertainment. So this, this idea of cancel culture, right. I'm sure everybody's familiar, but when I was thinking about all of it and the implications in different people's lives and uh, whether it's justified or not justified and all that kind of stuff. I kind of had this thought. It's like, where did this get like, has this always been the case uh, where there's this complete, I don't know if this analogy is good, but like this whole throw the baby out with the bathwater mentality. Mm. And it, it reminded me of a movie that came out in 2005 called end of the spear i don't know if anybody knows that what that movie is or if uh, you've seen it if if you have great if not then oh well it's not life-changing or anything i didn't think 
But uh, it's the story of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, these two missionaries and their families that go down to, I think it's Ecuador, yep. to share the gospel with this group of people that have never, they're, they're un, like they're un, not only unreached, they're untouched, right? Like they had never really had contact with the outside modern world. Right. And they were known to be cannibalistic. And eventually, Jim Elliott, Nate's, uh, Nate Saint, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, Nate Saint. Um, and their crew were killed by this tribe in the Ecuadorian jungles. And uh, this movie depicts their their story, right? Their life. Mm. And I don't, I, I honestly cannot remember which of the actors it was. I don't remember if it was Louis Leonardo or if it was Chad Allen. Um, and it, I guess it could have been one of the others. All I remember was there was this kind of, push in Christian circles because one of the characters, one of the, one of the actors that plays one of the characters in the movie was a practicing homosexual. Oh. And there was this kind of outcry that how, how dare they put a homosexual actor mm. in a Christian movie? Right. And so we're not going to go see it. I don't, I, I don't remember which all groups kind of got behind this. Uh, but then you've also got, Groups, I think, um, what's the what's the million moms? Yeah, one million they, moms. One million moms. Uh, they also kind of have this mantra or this mentality. It feels like sometimes where if this company uh, supports in any way this agenda, and I'm using air quotes. He did. That, I saw it. He used air quotes. Y'all. Okay, this agenda that we don't approve of, then we're going to boycott this company indefinitely yeah. until until they become Christian basically. Yeah. And so I was thinking about that. I was like, did Christians birth cancel culture? Like the, the I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure they didn't. I, I, I get it. I'm sure this, I've read enough of political history and things like that, especially in the U S where I, I know that's not the case, Right. but I do get the feeling that conservatives, especially at this moment. And I, I say conservative and kind of lump them in with Christians because in America, they tend to be uh, equated with each other a lot of yeah. a lot of the times, where we kind of rail against this idea of cancel culture. Like poor Gina Carano, let her let her have her own opinions mm-hmm. for crying mm-hmm. out loud. Uh, let the woman act, right? Like she's an actress. What she does on screen, whether she's good at it or not, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, yeah, you know it, what she thinks in private shouldn't matter, mm-hmm. right? But I think that only goes to a certain point because it, on the flip side, I, I feel like I have observed this Christian conservative movement over the last, well, my lifetime, the last 30 years almost, do the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? If we, don't, if we don't like something that you said in private or we don't like the way you live your life, it doesn't matter who you portray on screen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter the content that you create, whether it's actual, the content itself is actually offensive or not. If, if we think that you are in a different tribe than us, or if we don't like what you're saying behind closed doors and we find out about it, you're done. Yeah. Right. Again, yeah. not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it just kind of got me to thinking about maybe a little bit of the hypocrisy of the Christian conservative movement in America, because I feel like if anything in the, in the modern context, I remember us doing this long yeah. before. Oh yeah. The, the liberal left, kind of started this push to eradicate or, or what 
a lot of people perceive is their push to eradicate any kind of conservative thought mm. in, in modern media. And I just think it's so ironically funny. Oh yeah. I, I agree. And, and you know, my observations growing up and this was always something what's the sort of approach that gets termed cancel culture today. Uh, I look at it and I'm like, this is like, I, I'm, I'm used to this. Like by and large, like right. I, don't, I don't agree with, um, you know, somebody says something that you don't like or you think is even harmful and you're like, well, they shouldn't, shouldn't work anymore. Um, you know, work as a privilege, like to an extent, like there are some things that people say and things they promote. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if I was your boss, I don't know that I'd want to be associated with you anymore at this point either. Uh, sure. And, and there's a lot of different things are some things that are different now uh, from when we were younger is that what used to be said in private or semi-private circles is now being said like on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram. And so it is a little bit more, a little bit more public, but, but yeah, the whole idea of uh, what I call sort of like impossible purity tests on Mm. whether or not we're going to associate you associate with you in any capacity or whether we're going to um, patronize any sort of commercial endeavor that you are remotely connected with. Like I'm not, that's that's old hat to me, and it's old hat from from the right, you know, because we right. both grew up really really conservative, and so whether it be like boycotting Disney way back in the day, sure, um, you know, I remember when there was a push to boycott Pepsi, uh, which was fine with me because I don't really care for Pepsi that much. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's always been, and it hasn't been because like, oh well, Pepsi products are bad and they are bad for you. It's like, well, that's a good reason to not drink them, but it's right. because you know Pepsi gave money to this or pepsi gave money to that or disney you know um and and i'm not i'm not even trying to say necessarily that you you don't have the right as an individual to determine whether or not where you put your money is going to support the things that you agree with or not for sure yeah I, i i totally agree with the the people's rights to do that it's it's not that's not the problem at all i think it's the um, ginning up of a mob yes for for yeah. sure i mean that yeah and 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 again the hypocrisy of well i can do it to your tribe but you can't do it to mine and if you do you're kind of closed-minded and bigoted yes yeah you know but if i do it it's because we're right yeah you know yeah. like <laughs> duh and um uh, and i just find that uh, again uh, highly ironic but again i, I do want to i do want to stress that i i get the mentality or the attitude or the concern that okay if this company is producing this type of material like and, I'm, and i mean like a company as a whole me giving my money to them in a subscription or whatever is is akin to me saying i like the content you're producing it produce more of it sure yeah and yeah. and i so i understand the concern but at, at the same time there needs to be a, a tad bit more just humility involved in how we approach this and how we we go about it, and and I think a little bit more grace and forgiveness when people do kind of shift because of pressure, right? Recognizing that you you said X Y and Z, we didn't like that. You you said you were sorry, right? Or you kind of tried to explain yourself uh, why you posted that, why you tweeted that, why you know all this kind of stuff. 
let's kind of take a step back and say, okay, we've all been there. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, we, we've all tweeted or said things that we probably wouldn't now. Um, that means so stand, so stand by them all. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There have been things that I've gone back. I was like, oh, I should delete this. And I'm like, like, nah, it's like, I, I agree with half of it and the half I don't agree with. It's like, I don't want to. I'm not going to, I don't want to act like I never said it. You know, some people sure. go back and I think delete stuff because they're like, Oh, I don't want anybody to know that I was wrong or that I thought that. And it's like, I, don't, I really don't care. I mean, right. I do. But if somebody like pulls up a tweet or a Facebook post from six years ago, cause I like on, on, you know, this day in Facebook history and memories when Facebook sure. shows you things, like I'll see some stuff and I'll be like, oh, I can't believe I said that. It's like, that. it's like, Oh, well I did. I'm grown. I'm more grown up now. Not, not quite grown up, but more grown up. But to me, right. this is one of the, this is an instance of what I, I think I observe in sort of American evangelical culture and maybe even conservative evangelical culture in particular. But it's this tendency to be communal when we should be individualistic and individualistic when we should be communal. And mm. by that, I mean, like, if, if you are, you know, like, like, let's say, you are a Christian and, and we'll, we'll use Gina Carano again. And what she said, like, you just thought it was horrendous. Like for whatever reason, like you're like, well, the way she acted, the way she talked to people, whatever, like I, I can't agree with that. And I just like, I just don't think in good conscience I can watch the show anymore. It's like, well then don't like, don't watch the show anymore. Sure. Don't subscribe to it. Or if you're on the other foot uh, or you're on the other hand with the foot of the other shoe in that hand, Really or somewhere people. else <laughs> or somewhere else and you're like hey they should not have fired her i really think that was just egregious on their part and i in good in good conscience can't watch the show anymore because gina carano is gone right. it's like well then right. fine don't like like my you know mind your own conscience you know like if sure. your conscience forbids you to do something then hey yeah don't do it but like don't go get a mob up and tell everybody else like hey you know what i can't watch X because of this personal conviction. So you also should not watch X because of this personal conviction. And to, right. so to, when you sort of create a mob out of your conscience, mm -hmm. that, that seems really, really wrong. Like, I don't think right. that's, uh, that is the way to, to go about it. And, and then things that should be more, uh, should be a little bit more community minded. Like, oh, I can't think of something off the top of my head. Like even the opposite of that, like do, do grace as a community, you know, and, mm. and forgiving someone. Cause now you'll, you'll have a situation where the quote unquote, and I'm using air quotes as well, canceled I saw person. It. I saw it, everybody did it. <laughs> where the quote unquote canceled person apologizes. And then you'll see individuals say, well, this was meaningful and, and I forgive you, but the mob still stays angry. Sure. And so be much better if we got angry as individuals and forgave as a group rather than getting in most situations and getting mm. just angry as a group and then only forgiving as individuals. Sure. So, but yeah, it's uh, cancel culture, you know, is definitely, it is one of those things where we've both lived long enough to see the foot, um, sorry, the shoe completely on the other foot. Right. Where the people that used it to, you know, kick their enemies when we were younger are now angry because their enemies are kicking them with the same foot mm -hmm. in the same shoe. Sure.
I need to retire that analogy because <laughs> not super applicable. But and so you know, and now I'm just like over here, like gosh, like this is this is crazy. I actually I'm in a, a Facebook group. It's like a bunch of law students and former law students, and they share memes and complain and about how terrible law school is. And sometimes the memes are funny, and sometimes I'm just like y'all are whining like a lot. <laughs> and then sometimes they're just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, y'all are terrible people. I don't know why I'm around here anymore. But they, it is funny. And I made a meme and submitted it and actually got posted. And I think people got mad at me, uh, which is fine. But it was that, that picture with like the two like big muscular arms, you know, like kind of, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, on the one side, on the one arm is this group, on the one arm is that group, and the middle is the thing they agree on. So I made one. It was the name of the Facebook group. It's like, you know, it's called like, law school memes for edgy top 14 students or something like that was one arm it was like fundamentalist Christian was the other arm. And what they agreed on was impossible purity tests. <laughs> so some people, some people thought it was funny and some people like started yelling at me in the comments. And like, I don't, I yeah. don't care. You're, it sounds like a good meme to me. You are, you are what you are and you know it. <laughs> I mean, but what, who of us doesn't, let me go back start that over who of us wants to be judged ourselves by that standard right you know of impossible purity of mm-hmm. saying well i don't if somebody disagrees with me about something especially if it's something that at least i would consider trivial or not like heaven or hell issue i, I don't want you to like wish me harm and wish my business harm or my job or my family harm because I don't see things eye to eye to you. Like, I, I don't want to be treated like that. Who does? I mean, it's obvious Christians don't want to be treated that way. Right. Because we want to be able to not bake cakes for gay people. And we want to be able to, I mean, you know, you go down the list of things that we want to be able to, you know, stand on our convictions on certain things. And we don't want people to burn down our business because we don't see eye to eye with them. Right. And so I'm not entirely sure why we in the past, especially um, felt that we could not, not that we've actually burned anybody's businesses down. I'm just saying that that kind of like what you said, that like this mob mentality of, Mm -hmm. okay, well, if you support this thing that we don't agree with, we're going to, you know, we're going to cut you off at the pass. We're going to make sure you, yeah. you know, don't make any money or try to. We're going to, we're going to squeeze you till it hurts. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, I just, I don't know that that's, I just don't know that that's the way that Christ intended when he said that we were supposed to love our enemies. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I didn't, I didn't realize that loving your enemy meant destroying their business and their livelihood. And, yeah you know, all these kinds of things or saying terrible things about them on Instagram or Facebook, or I, I just didn't realize that, you know, I didn't That's, realize yeah. that was, I didn't realize that was part of praying for them and blessing them and all the things that Christ told us to do for the people that slander us and persecute us. And, you know, like we, we are called to live not a conservative life, but a Christian one. Mm. And we, we get that sorely confused. Yeah. In our modern in our modern context, whether you're Catholic or Orthodox or evangelical of any stripe, it's uh, it's like my goodness, like we have got to do a better job at finding the balance between standing on our convictions for ourselves and then loving people 
where they are. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean you don't call people to repentance, but there's got to be, I don't know, there's got to be a better balance there than what we've struck over the last decade and a half, two decades. And I think that in a large part, a lot of the pain that conservative evangelicals are feeling, or they, they at least perceive that they're feeling, uh, it's just the seeds that we've sown bearing fruit. Yeah, I think I think to a large, I think there's a, a I couldn't tell you how much, but it certainly is obvious to me that that's, that's got to be in there. Um, Matthew Lee Anderson is a writer, um, a Christian writer, kind of thinker, philosopher. I have a, a lot of respect for him. He's always worth reading. And he wrote an article, I think it was in Christianity Today uh, a while back, that talked a good bit about that and um, particularly was in response to uh, decision, Supreme Court decisions like Obergefell and um, the one last summer, I think, that, that had to do with um, discrimination uh, in, in the workplace, equal opportunity. I forget which one it was, which came down and, and a lot of conservatives were upset with the way it was, the way it ended. They were especially more upset because Neil Gorsuch uh, wrote the majority opinion that they hated. Um, and Oddly, it's one of those decisions where if you read it, like, I understand why, by and large, liberals are happy with the outcome and conservatives were not. But it's one of those where if you read it, like, it should kind of be the other way around. Um, anyway, Matthew Anderson wrote about how a lot about how every time there's a big decision like that that gets handed down, there's there's a lot of a lot more tension between sort of the conservative evangelical community and you know those who advocate for um for for homosexual rights and lgbtq rights and and kind of part of the gist of his article was like look as christians like we we have put ourselves in the unenviable position of having to hope and pray that they treat now that they're sort of gaining the upper hand that they treat us better than we treated them when we had the upper hand yeah for sure and it was really really good. It was really well done. Uh, and Matthew Anderson's always worth reading. Um, even though he's not Orthodox or Catholic, you know, he's one of the, one of the good ones back there that probably come around eventually. Uh, <laughs> but one of the, like, and then we can get off this, this topic, but like one of the most illogical and to me, mind blowingly trivial areas of life in which this sort of conflict and this, these competing cancel cultures have collided is chicken sandwiches and like chick-fil-a <laughs> and popeye and now it's like it's like burger king and so you know chick-fil-a came under a lot of fire like years i don't remember how long ago it was and there was the whole you know mike huckabee god bless him um the save you know everybody goes support chick-fil-a this day and and then like oddly enough chick-fil-a has since stopped supporting some of the organizations that uh, they came under fire for, it. and then I actually knew some conservatives who then were like, "Well, now we're not going to eat at Chick Fil A because Chick Fil A does not support whatever the organization was." I, I forget. Right. And then, and then recently, Burger King came out with their chicken sandwich and also said, "Hey, look, not only do we have this chicken sandwich that is quote unquote good, but if you purchase, you can buy it on Sundays." And if you buy it on a Sunday, like we'll make a donation to, you know, charities and organizations that work 
like work with at risk LGBTQ youth or, or, or work to, you know, to advance the, those civil rights and things like that. Right. And I thought, how dumb. Now that they do that, that's fine. Like if that's what you want to do and that's, and that's sort of what you want to support, like that, that's, like go for it. Like that's, I, I would much, that's not a bad way. I mean, you can just agree or disagree with whether or not that's a good thing to support, but like, Hey, that's, that's fine. Like, like do that. That's, I mean, Chick-fil-A does similar things, but I'm just like, how dumb that that's, you're like trying to get people to virtue signal by eating your chicken sandwich. And how sad are yet that if you are a, you know, liberal minded person who wants to accomplish good through your, chicken sandwich eating choices not only do you have to eat at burger king but you have to walk up to the front counter of burger king and you have to order a sandwich called a chicken <laughs> i wouldn't i don't know if that'd be worth it like you have to walk into burger king presumably in broad daylight when other people can see you do it and you have to walk up to the counter and say I would like one chicken, please. That's a word that's got to come out of your mouth if you want to, you know. Surprised they the didn't call it the chiqueen. The chiqueen. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's a dumb name, but it, I mean, it's just like, it's just dumb. Like that whole thing, the whole escalation there yeah, between yeah. people and, and then some businesses have egged it on more than others. It's just like, my gosh, like, just like, Go to the chicken. Go to the place that has a chicken sandwich you like, or right. go to the place that has the food that you like, and that you know, like they treat their employees well. Like that's right. like that's more important to me. To like, I would rather. And I heard this from Timothy Keller years ago. He was like, he said something along the lines of, "In his mind, it would be better if instead of Christian businesses like donating from their profits to charity, if they took that amount." and gave it back to their employees and, mm. you know, more pay. And so, and then told their employees, look, we're doing this to you because we value you. We want to take care of you, but also like use this and you go donate to charities and you go do right. things that are meaningful and you invest in the community. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like do, do that. But like, I don't know that ordering a sandwich called the chicken is, is really going to affect social change, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, kinda, it's just bonkers how far that has gone, and, and it's sort of this offshoot of, of like the cancel culture, uh, culture <laughs> that we've seen. Right. All right. Yeah. So, um, so I have my my hot take, uh, hot take Tuesday on a Monday. Similarly, is it's a question that I know the I know the answer to, and I know the statement I'm going to make is not entirely accurate, but it feels it feels um, very 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 Baptist of me. It feels right, but and we we've talked about this just you and I, not on on microphones before, but um, at one point when you and I were both on on the respective journeys that we're on, we talked about how. Postmodernism very much seems like it could be like the illegitimate child of Protestantism <clears throat> writ large. Right. And and what specifically what I'm I'm thinking of and what I mean when I say that is when you look at the roots of Protestantism and you, you see it even more pronounced and clear in evangelicalism and things like the Baptist denomination and 
non-denominational, which is just Baptist by any other name, is is really at its heart. It is a deconstructive movement because as that movement progress progresses, it is uh, because it so focuses on the power of the individual and and the strength of the individual and the necessity of the individual by its nature it's very difficult it's it's contrary to its nature to build long lasting uh institutions or structures or even churches because they're designed to come apart they're designed for the pieces to always stay somewhat free of the other pieces mm-hmm. like one of the core things and we've talked about this one of the core tenets of the baptist faith is that there are really no core there are very few core tenets of the Baptist faith right. like one of its one of its earmarks is its relative fluidity around certain pillars and one of those pillars is we can only have so many pillars it's like first rule of fight club is we don't talk about fight club first rule of Baptist is we don't have many rules give, give us give us an example of what one of those pillars might be Brian like the pillars of like the Baptist faith yeah, the deconstructed state, right? That you you're saying that Southern Baptists, yeah, so naturally are in what what is one of those pillars of this deconstructed state? So yeah, one of them is, and, and to me, it's, it's it's a big one. It's the 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 personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with really a big emphasis on on the personal, where it, it kind of and you see it like in in. Christ, contemporary Christian music that sort of like paints Jesus as this like this lovelorn fella who's after and there's who's after you like in this very singular use of mm-hmm. the word you sure um or who or he's after us but we use us in a in a way that indicates he's after us as individuals not us as a collective not us as the church yeah. or if or i could nation. if i could jump in like an example of this might be is it hosea the prophet who marries the prostitute and uh she runs away, and well, God tells her to compare Baptists to prostitutes or marry. No, 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 no. I'm, that's where you want to go. <clears throat> no, no, not at all. But there's this kind of emphasis in literature in evangelical world of like saying this is how Jesus loves you, right? Like yeah. no matter how many times you sin or whatever, which there is truth to that. I'm, I'm not not disregarding it, but I'm just saying that the context of the Book of Hosea is God going after a nation. Yeah. Right, he's he's going after a people, not a person. He uses the example of a person to, I guess, construct or not. He goes from small to big, not big to small. In right. in this right. in this account, um, at least that was the first thing I thought of when you when you started talking about that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great example. But it it so one of these pillars is like this really heavy onus on your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about you and it's about your time in the scripture and your time in prayer, which are all important. And Christ does pursue, like Christ has pursued me and Christ has pursued you, but he has pursued us to become part of his bride, not to be his bride. Like when we get to, I think some, the natural end point of, of a lot of sort of Baptist faith would lead you to the conclusion that at the marriage supper of the lamb, it's going to be Jesus and a whole heck of a lot of brides. <laughs> right. It's like right. intention. Uh, well, not intentionally, unintentionally 
they paint the church as the bride of Christ as as something similar to a great harem. Yeah. And just kind of creepy, honestly. Yeah, it is. I had never put it into words or thought of it exactly like that, but that's kind of how it it plays out. And because of that, and, and so that's one core tenet, you know, and, and Baptists affirm things that that we as Orthodox and, and Catholics also affirm, like the divinity of Christ and the Trinity and and you know, but then things that you have to agree with to be Baptist start to get fudgy and dodgy after that. You know, you can have a little bit of a, a difference on on baptism and on uh, on the sacraments. And so because like the, the approach to, to the Baptist faith is very sort of like a confederation, like we're all in this together because we want to be right. when we don't want to be. We don't have to be anymore. Right. Um, Whereas. Catholicism and orthodoxy in their respective ways would say that the that the church collective is the means of God communicating his love to the world. Yeah. Not not you as an individual. Yeah. Like you play a part in that. Yeah. But it 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 can't ever be what it's supposed to be if you separate it from the work of the church. Mm-hmm. Like even your own salvation. <clears throat> Paul says, you know, he talks about making up what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ, right, for these people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like there's this there's this aspect that even, or this idea that, you know, their, their salvation, or even baptism, right? Like a, for, as, for, for an example, we believe that it it is uh, effectual, right, so that God has given it as a gift to his church to be a means of encountering the grace of God through it. Well, that is an ordinance that comes through the church. You can't, you can't, I can't go out, you know, to the pool and just say, hey, you know, I think I'm going to baptize some people today. You know, like, it, that's not how it works. Yeah. <clears throat> um, perhaps under, you know, life or death situations, I, I think the church might allow for that. But that's not, that's not the normal means. Like, the normal means of salvation includes baptism and the only way that you can normatively encounter that is through the community of, of the church. Right. And the gift of the church, you know, to the world. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so it's so easy to think that, I mean, in, in I, gosh, there were times even in, uh, I can think of specific stories in the Baptist world where so-and-so was at home and they just decided, you know, somebody said the sinner's prayer and they're like, well, Go out of the pond. We'll baptize you real quick. You yeah, know? it's like it's completely devoid of community. Oh yeah, yeah. Or it can be. It can be because it's not required to be. Yes. Yeah. And they and then you know and I've had I had a conversation with a Baptist who was like, well, you know, if baptism saves you. Like, so if you're not baptized, can you not be saved? I'm like, well, if you refuse to be baptized, then I'm going to say you can't be saved. He's like, oh, well, I would I would agree with that. And he's like, but, you know, what if you, like, you can't get baptized? And I was like, well, God can do, like, and and it's sort of like, I think as you've put it, and I didn't have the vocabulary back then, but like, you know, man is bound to the sacraments, but God is not bound to the sacraments, you know? Um, Right, right. And so, but then in the Baptist tradition, there's sort of this like, well, if God can do it extra special and not normative, if he has to, well, then there doesn't need to be a normal or just everyone is extra special. 
Um, but anyway, to kind of get back to the postmodernism, <laughs> we kind of we kind of circled away from that a tad. <clears throat> but one, I, I remember growing up and like going to like worldview classes and apologetics classes. Like postmodernism was this big boogeyman. Like, oh, we postmodernism is is it's getting a foothold in institutions. It's already taken over the schools. Um, there is no truth. Everybody can just decide whatever they want to yes. about what the truth is, or you know, them in their own Bibles. Or wait, no. no. <laughs> well, one of the big examples of it was this was deconstructionism, which is you know you read a book, it doesn't really matter what the author intended to convey. Like everybody can right. take away their own meaning, yeah. their own. You know, well, it means different things to different people, which is true. Like things can mean different things to different people. But like if I write a book, I, I'm generally going to have a pretty good idea in my mind what that book is, quote unquote, about, like what I'm trying to communicate. What's the what story am I trying to tell? I may not really have a moral to the story, but I have a story. And, you know, if somebody reads it and says, well. I read it, and to me, the story it really ended like this. So the story took this character from point A to point B. I might be like, "Oh, well, that's that's cool. Like that's not what I wrote, but I understand that's kind of what you what you read." There's always like a little play in the joints there. Yeah. Um, except like that was that was bad, you know. In, in this in these classes where postmodernism and deconstructionism were were the next great evils on the horizon. And, um, you know, there's one meaning to everything, one truth for everybody. Um, but I, and this was, I started seeing this and noticing this before I left, uh, the Baptist faith. And, and probably one of the reasons I, I did end up leaving it was like, that's, 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 that's where, that's where Protestantism, that's where evangelicalism ends, you know? Yeah. Uh, a great a great resource for people. I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but Alistair McGrath has a book. Uh, what's it called? Christianity's dangerous idea. Yes, Christianity's greatest idea. Uh, yes, what you just said. Um, it's a fantastic. fantastic it's incredible. Book. And for those of you that <clears throat> are Protestants and are wary, this is a, this is a Protestant writing the book. Yeah, uh, he's a Anglican priest, I believe. I think so. And. Uh, scholar he's got degrees out at the wazoo and all this kind of stuff he's a really great author but he kind of makes that point in the book and he wasn't necessarily criticizing it right per se as much as just saying look this is where this mentality naturally leads even martin luther a couple years after he nailed his 95 thesis to the wall or to the door he even is quoted as saying that uh, I, I'm going to butcher the quote. Maybe I can find it real quick, but something to the effect of, well, I guess everybody's their own Pope now. Yeah. You know, like he didn't, he didn't foresee the postmodern esque wave that he was unleashing on the world. I don't think. No, I don't. Think I don't, I don't think he comprehended that. Oh, if, if, I can take James out if I don't like it, or if, uh, you know, Calvin can say that, you know, X, Y, and Z is how we're supposed to read it. And I disagree with like, they can start, like he didn't, he didn't have no clue that that's where this was going. Right. But it is whenever you stop and say, well, maybe, maybe I can decide for myself what scripture yeah. means. Yeah. Once, 
once somebody steps away and says, look, I can know the fullness of the gospel and know the fullness of God away from the church, then that's where that's going to go. And, and, and for Luther, it really was, Luther wasn't rejecting the idea of the church or the importance of church, but he definitely stepped away from, you know, the Catholic church. And mm-hmm. once somebody stands up and says, Hey, I can step away and I can kind of go do my own thing. It's just going to have, it's, it's just only going to splinter and come apart from there, you know? Right. Um, and Luther was very, you know, liturgical and, and, you know, um, they had, I don't know if they have bishops in the Lutheran church. They had, you know, it, it, it kept some of that structure, but it, it kind of reminds me of the, the statue in the book of Daniel where like the head was made of gold and, you know, the shoulders were like made of silver. And as you go further down the statue, the metals get less precious and you know, become less refined and more crude. And that's right. sort of how I view what Protestantism has led to with evangelicalism is that each step removed gets weaker and becomes more diluted. And, and the bond between the bond of the elements becomes, you know, uh, becomes weaker and it's easier for it to fall apart until it just comes apart uh, sure. really, really easily. And so I think, I think at one point, I, um, I said, like, I felt like postmodernism was the child of Protestantism from a weekend trip to Las Vegas. Um, and it's probably not the best, <laughs> the best analogy, but it does feel like postmodernism is like, uh, you know, the chickens coming home to roost, uh, you know, in, in Protestantism and, and evangelical culture, because mm-hmm. it, it's just, it seems inevitable, like, and it seems like they should know it's inevitable because they're the ones that that created. They're the ones that unleashed that thing on the world, or had a sure. part in unleashing that thing on the world. And in his book, in Alistair McGrath's book, I remember there's like towards the end, or maybe the very last chapter is sort of like a a look into like what's the future going to be like? You know, what's the church going to look like? Uh, evangelicalism going to look like 10, 12, 20, 30 years, and um, he talked about, I think somewhere in Asia, maybe even in China, these things that are like cell churches where it's like two people and then it grows to four people and then six people. And then when it gets to like eight, it splits. Mm-hmm. And then those two grow to about eight or 10 and then they split. And it's like, you know, this, these are churches, you know, gatherings that are very small, very mobile, um, you know, can be very, very intimate. And I remember reading that. And I, I, I was at no, in no way was I contemplating leaving Baptist faith at this point. But I just remember reading that and thinking, that sounds terrible. Like if that's what, it's fine for like small groups within the church. But it's like, if that's what the church looks like in 50 years, that's, I was like, that's not, that's not a, that's, that's not a church. That's, that's unrecognizable. That's like de-evolution. Right. Um, you know, that, that's things going backwards. That's not a organisms coming together to build something great and strong. That's like going backwards down the evolutionary chain where things just become smaller and smaller and, and less complex. And therefore 
you know, less able to really impact the society and the neighborhood that's around it because it's so small and kind of easily ignorable um, and without many, you know, resources. Right. Did you, did you find the Luther quote? Cause I, I you seem to be looking for it. I am. I am not. If you just search like Luther quote Pope, you're going to get a lot of quotes about the Pope. <laughs> and none of them are going to be what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll have to try to find it maybe for next time, but, uh, I could be entirely wrong, but I'm, I'm almost positive that he said something to the effect of not that, not that he necessarily regretted what he did, but just kind of an acknowledgement that what this allows is for basically anybody to just kind of decide what they believe is true. Yeah. Which is what Christians rail against about postmodernism that not that I can, you know, add anything to what you've said, but just kind of like this idea that we, we can't stand the idea that professors in classrooms or whatever are telling kids that, you know, truth is whatever you decide it is or, um, if you want to read homosexuality and now the LGBTQ agenda into Tolkien, then go for it. You know, like it's just crazy. Yeah. But I, I feel like we see in evangelical Christianity, the same things happening right now, right? You've got people that even from a Baptist perspective, I'm going to speak like a Baptist for just a second, you know, people that just kind of get up and, say that women can be preachers now or, um, you know, where'd that come from, you know, or that you would allow people to teach in anything other than Tim LaHaye's version of the, you know, apocalypse, or you could go on and on. Well, why can't they? Yeah. You know, you've told them their whole lives that if they would sit down with their Bibles and ask the Holy Spirit, that he would guide them to all truth. And so if they sat down with their Bibles and that's the truth they came to, then who are you to tell them that they're wrong? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just kind of, it's kind of insane, honestly, but yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, if there's no authoritative interpretation, then every right. interpretation can be correct. Yeah. For sure. And that's, I just feel like you see that, see those seeds have been sown from the Protestant church and from the evangelical church for centuries at this point. And at, at the very least, they have been one heck of a miracle grow for the seeds of dissension and um, derision and division and well, I don't know, any other kind of word I can throw in there with ION at the end. Well, you, and you had a stretch there where they all started with the with the letter D as well, and that was impressive. It's true. So, well, it's true. That was well done. A little, bit, my, of the, little bit of the preacher coming out. In yeah, I was just going to say, he, he's still there sometimes. He pokes up his head. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. So, a little bit of a hot take again, but this, I think, is something it'll give us both an opportunity to kind of reflect and be genuine and honest about where we are now and, and our own faith, you know, because we're, we've obviously very obviously to anyone who's listened to us talk for the past 50 minutes can be really critical of the, the traditions that we came from and, and the flaws that we came to, to see there and perceive and how those flaws may or may not have urged us on the journey that's led us to where we are now, where I'm, you know, in the Orthodox church and you're in the Catholic church. And one thing that, 
a trap some people can fall into when they're going from one tradition to another, be it Baptist to Catholic or even Catholic to Baptist, is to kind of think, look, all the problems that I saw in the church growing up were caused by, were, were because that tradition is wrong. Right. And now that I'm in the right place, everything is better or everything is perfect or everything is good. Yeah. But I think both of us, uh, you've been Catholic longer than I've been Orthodox, but both of us can hopefully be pretty clear eyed about the tradition we're in and even recognize that there are some things that we see that, that we find kind of concerning. And we're not going right. to dive deep and, and say like, look, this is the, the flaw with Catholicism and Orthodoxy and I, and I alone can fix it. And for such a reason, God has called me to this church. But right. like, let's just take a couple minutes uh, and like, be honest and be open. Like what's, what's something that you see in, in the Catholic church that you can say problematic, I think is probably too strong a word, but that you kind of find concerning and, and you think it's something that the church as a whole is going to have to pay some attention to and give clarity on or, or give some correction on before too long. So I don't think it's just the Catholic Church that struggles with this. I think there's pockets in, you know, every form or tradition of Christianity because every form and tradition of Christianity is full of people yeah. and people struggle with this. So I, I don't mean to say this to criticize any pope or uh, bishop or priest or anything, um, but but also point a finger at myself to say that I know I've struggled with this and I see it very prevalent in our, in our culture our Christian culture at large. And that's just a, a lack of courage to suffer hmm. for what we believe in. And I'm not saying that we have to be ugly or rude. That's never been the call of God upon his right. people. But there are certain things like the reality of, of hell the kindness of heaven, the mercy of God to bring repentance and restoration and love and light. You know, the, the good news is still the good news. Right. But our we, we tend to be very timid, I feel like, in our in our day, um, and far more concerned with how we might offend people than we should be. And maybe maybe you could go both ways of that and say, well, there's some groups that don't care at all how they well, yeah, <laughs> whether sure. Whether they're tactful or not, but I'm just saying at large in the Catholic Church, particularly in the West where we have it pretty good, mm-hmm. we are we are deathly afraid that we're going to offend the wrong group of people and lose our tax exempt status, or we're going to offend the wrong uh, person in our church that gives a lot of money and then we'll lose their money because. Yeah. They don't care what kind of lifestyle they live or the lifestyle of their children or, or what have you. Um, and we just kind of tiptoe around truth. And it's, it's really kind of sad to see. And, I, I, you know, I, I think of the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 5, where he says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. He doesn't say if, you right. know. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't really give that as an option ever to his apostles. I think it's in Peter, one of, one of the letters of Peter, 
He says, all those who long to, or who desire to live a life of godliness in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And sometimes that means we don't get the job we want. Sometimes that means we don't have the money we wish we had. Sometimes that means that we lose friends and family. I think it's in this last Sunday's gospel readings. It was the the passage, it was this Sunday or last Sunday, where it was the passage where Jesus says, if anyone wishes to follow me, um, or, or maybe, no, I'm, I'm getting it wrong, sorry. He said he didn't come to bring priests, but a sword. He said that, uh, you know, father would be against his sons and a mother would be against her daughters. Yeah. Yeah. And and so on and so forth. And it's just kind of like, holy cow, you know, um, maybe we should be far more concerned with pleasing our Lord and living lives of holiness and calling those we love to lives of holiness and truth. And if that means we get fed to the lions or burned on the stake or something far less traumatic. Yeah. Then, then perhaps we should be willing to suffer those things for Christ. And uh, I think there's a great longing in our world to see people that believe so passionately about what they believe, not that they go to war for it, but that they'd be willing to die for it. Yeah. And out, out of love for Christ and for the souls of people. Uh, and so it's it's been a great con- conviction of, of, you know, of, of mine over these last few days as I've kind of thought about this, that, man, you know, Adam, are you, are you willing, you know, like if, because we get all bent out of shape when our favorite chicken place doesn't give money to the things we wish they did or, or whatever. But the sad reality is in this broken world that in our lifetime, we literally could in theory, cause it's happened before. It's like we, we've lived in a bubble for so long, but it literally could come to the point, God forbid that we actually have to suffer for Jesus mm-hmm. and will we be willing to do it? And I think that if we kind of get this thought process backwards in our minds where from an earthly perspective, we think, well, you know, I'll do it when the time comes, right? When it gets really bad, I'll be willing to stand up for Jesus. But Jesus always comes at it from the reverse. He says, if you're faithful in the little, yeah. I'll give you much. Yeah. And I think that that we need to be reminded of that in our day, where right now, when it's just a matter of maybe, you know, lovingly pissing people off, that's okay. Um, If we're not willing to be faithful now, then when it really does get bad, I I don't, I don't know how we can think that we'll actually do better then. Yeah. And our, our, we need priests, we need bishops, we need husbands and fathers and mothers and sons and daughters who are willing to say, you know what? I love you and I love Jesus too much to care about whether or not you're happy with me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the church is in a place right now where she struggles with that. Yeah. And I think that's something like that's not unique to the Catholic church, but see you in Christianity in general. I really loved what you said about, you know, the not so much being willing to go to war over it, but being willing to die for it. You know, mm. um, you mentioned, you know, tiptoeing around the truth. And I thought, well, you know, truth, truth is not a weapon that we wield against other people. It's not right. a minefield that we avoid either. Right. But too often we, 
we find ourselves treating it like one or the other. Like we use mm. our truth to like strike someone down or we find the truth to be so potentially uncomfortable to ourselves as far as what might be the ramifications just for acknowledging that we affirm certain truths right. that we find ways to get around that field, you know, yeah. and very little time spent in the middle where we're just, we don't use the truth to beat other people down, but we're certainly willing to, to accept any consequences that affirming the truth brings with it. You know, and that's something yeah, that I've sure. seen in my own life, uh, in my own life as well. Well, my, um, my, my sort of view or, or my version, I guess, of, of what I see in the Orthodox church that to me, I find concerning is not as probably not as deep or spiritual, um, uh, and I'm sure somewhere there's an explanation for this. Y'all need a Pope. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you're going to say when I get done saying what it is, but, okay. um, is, so I go to an Orthodox church of America. So it's mm. the Orthodox church in America, um, which is fairly new, fairly recent sort of, uh, Orthodox church. And, uh, not far from where I live, there's an Antiochian church I've been to, or, yeah, I visited a Greek Orthodox church. I know there are Russian Orthodox churches around here. Um, and I, I Which are find, really cool, by the way. If anybody out there, they're very, they've got a very different flavor and spice. Oh, yeah. I feel like than any of the other Orthodox. So probably so. Because like the, the Russian Orthodox people that I've met that have like been raised or, or been in Russian Orthodox churches or, or have, have a little bit of that with them. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, I, no, I would no. encourage anybody if, if you're interested, definitely yeah, go, go quickly. Really cool. Cause I get my way that there won't be anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to me, it, it's concerning that cause people will even admit and say, yeah, you know, like ideally like the Orthodox churches that are in America should all be Orthodox church of America. Like they should identify themselves with the place where they are. Cause that's the purpose mm-hmm of sort of the, the, the designation of Russian Orthodox church or Greek Orthodox church is more, it, it's, it's become, and it is very cultural, but it's also meant it's like geographical. Like that's your you're right. Greek Orthodox because you're Greek and you're Orthodox. So obviously you're Greek Orthodox. Um, and so to me, it's concerning just to know that if there was ever like a, a big push to say, Hey, all the Orthodox churches in the U S are going to come under the jurisdiction of the Orthodox church of America, there would just be like, a ton of people like not having that, yeah. you know, and and I find that concerning because I, in, in my view, it would be a much better witness and testimony if the churches kind of followed the role that was set. And it's like the Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox Church is in Russia, and the Greek Orthodox Church is in Greece, and the American Orthodox Church is in America. And if you're an Orthodox Church, in the U.S., the New Orthodox Church of America. I mean, you can still keep like some of that that Russian spice and the Greek trappings. There, there's a lot of beauty in sure. those regional expressions right. that are just sort of like, in my view, they're like different dialects of the same language that is Orthodoxy. But like a Greek Orthodox service is going to look a little different, not just because it's in Greek, but even if it's in English, it's going to be a little different than what's you see in the Russian church. Sure, or what you see in like. And, o- and OCA churches tend to be a little chameleon. 
uh, or chameleonic, I guess. Like I've had a priest that was more influenced by the Greeks and I've had a priest that's been more influenced by the Russians, even though it's the exact same liturgy. Like I can, there's a difference in how it kind of how it tastes or how you, it's how it's pronounced almost. Um, but to me it's concerning as like this brand new baby Orthodox person that it's pretty much understood that that's never going to happen in the U S you know, or at least not happen for like a long, long time. Like there was a lot of pushback from some circles of even the Orthodox church of America being a thing. Um, Like I think it's the Ukrainian church that had a big, a big problem with that in part because um, the Russian Orthodox church, as I understand it was, was one of the ones that sort of helped, help build up the Orthodox Church of America and, and sort of was like it's, I don't know what the word is, sponsor or something like that. But but for someone who doesn't think there should be a Supreme Bishop, <laughs> like I don't, sure. still the, the lack of unity and the lack of sort of cohesiveness and just like what I perceive to be logical order in some things can be frustrating at times. Sure. Um, and and be, be concerning. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, I'm going to say that criticism for later. Um, <laughs> it wasn't your, it, it wasn't of you. It was of some, a trend in Southern Baptist life that I, I saw as I was kind of transitioning out uh, with like cowboy churches and stuff. And oh, um, yeah, yeah. it really frustrated me for a lot of reasons, but partly because of what you're talking about. So although I'm, I'm not Orthodox <clears throat> and, and one of the things I am so grateful for about being Catholic is at least what I perceive to be a, a bit more unity on a global scale. Um, I, I think I at least have some reference for where you're coming from. So I, I get it. It's yeah. Yeah. And we, we talked about that trend in, in SBC while we were still Baptist and, and at right. that point I think, and did not intend to leave. Um, right. But anyway, so that's, that's not as spiritual sounding as, uh, as what you mentioned, but uh, no, I mean, but you know, that, it, we're like super healthy and all chill. Over I there. don't, <laughs> I don't think it's not, uh, I don't think it's not spiritual though, because like, you know, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, they'll know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Yeah. And from what I've heard anyway, it, it can feel a bit unloving the mm. way that some of the Orthodox branches treat some of the others. Yeah. And kind of like this. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page and all this stuff, but you go worship over there and we'll just stick with our stuff over yeah. here. Yeah. And I'm not, sh- you know, so I, I, I you know, it, it's not, it's not an invalid spiritual concern either. It's not just an organizational issue, like what's most pragmatic or practical. Uh, we, we are supposed to be unified. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've talked about this even with the East and the West, you know, like, it it would be so amazing one day to see, and I know that both sides think that they should be done on their terms. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it should be one way or the other at this point. I'm just saying right. that we, we've both talked about how that the church shouldn't be this divided, right? Yeah. There, there shouldn't be this, such this, this, such huge chasm between East and West or, or even honestly between, Catholicism or Orthodoxy and Protestantism, respect, respectively. Mm-hmm. You know, all people that claim Christ ought to be 
unified in Christ, you know? And so it really is sad whenever you see division, and I'm sure it's just a part of this broken world we live in, and I don't know that it'll ever um, it'll ever change until, at least entirely, until Christ returns. But it, it's it's something to pray for, and yeah. there's no there's nothing wrong with longing for it. I don't think because it, it is what Christ wants for His church. Yeah, yeah, it is, and I think there is some relation as well between it and even what you mentioned about the tr- a, a lot of modern Christianities is unwilling to suffer and a another way in which that is manifested i think it's it's part and parcel of the same problem is modern christianity's un, uh, unwillingness to not have it its way in general mm, you know sure to not have the service exactly the way they want to have the service or the music yeah. to have you know or to and it's just i don't have to go to the church that is not my favorite. So why on earth should I go to the church that isn't right. my favorite? Sure. I think it is is part of the same attitude of I don't have to suffer, so why should I suffer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And there's there's a lot to be said for and the church can is certainly able to to do a lot of things um in the atmosphere of, you know, relative safety and and not being you know molested or or aggravated by by the the powers that be but it also can breed a sort of complacency that can lead to division and just lead to a real self-obsession within the hearts of of christians and i think we both have seen that i mean i can attest to that being in myself uh not just like something that i point to others but like recognizing it as well and being like even some days like well i don't i don't want to go say morning prayers right now i need to get out the door and get to work because i slept a little too long or whatever um but just like this 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 week i've been trying to be better about it and so i think it was this morning i got up and got dressed and the kids were all kind of like you know doing whatever and i was like hey it's like i'm gonna go to the more to the living room and say prayers it's like you can come say them with me if you want to. And they're like, Oh, we don't want to. And I was like, okay, let me rephrase that. You are going to come say morning prayers with me. <laughs> like I gave you the option at first to be nice and you didn't take it. So now you don't get an option. Get in here. <laughs> right. But it's just that, well, if I don't have to right this moment, then, you know, I'm not gonna, cause it's uncomfortable right. or it's inconvenient. Yeah. For sure. And it, and it may be Brian that, uh, if, if God would allow for a, a great movement towards unity within the Christian world within our context between East and West. It it may be that it only happens out of suffering. Yeah. I think, Um, I mean, how much, how much suffering, I guess, but will it take? Yeah. There's nothing that's more unifying than a common, and common suffering. That's why they have, that's one of the reasons why they have boot camp, right. For military. Because you got all these people come from all these different backgrounds, but there's something about a brotherhood, a brotherhood that's formed in suffering, that it sticks with people for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and I, and I think that there's something to be said for that. One of the reasons, one of the reasons why 
perhaps the church was so unified for so long was because it was her against the world. Yeah. You know? And so I, I don't, I mean, you, you never wish for suffering. I don't think you just, we're not, what's the word? Masochistic. Yeah. It, it's yeah. not, uh, it's not that, but at the same time, sometimes suffering can be a, a grace. Yeah. And, and I think that perhaps we will find one day that it's, it, it may just be suffering that uh, God uses to bring people's hearts not only closer to him, but closer to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for uh, this evening. Uh, we didn't get to talk about whether or not finding Nemo is racist. Um, <laughs> so we'll have to save that for next time. That's a teaser. It's on the list, the though, people. For Definitely real, on it's list. on the list. It's right under the John Wayne quotes from Rio Grande. Uh, that's right. So yeah, we'll have to save that, save that one maybe for next time. But Adam, as always, it was fantastic hanging out with you. Thanks so much, man, for spending the time. Same, and, brother. And thank you, internet audience, for tuning in and listening on this our Hot Take Tuesday on a Monday episode. Uh, if you're Baptist, I hope we didn't offend you too much. Uh, if you're Catholic or Orthodox, I hope we didn't offend you there at the end either. But hey, it's a Hot Take Tuesday on a Monday. What, what are you going to do? You're going to say right. some things that people are. are not going to make everybody happy but hey we'll be back at it in another week or two and we'll try to be as always try to be a little bit better than we were last time until then adam you have good night man and internet you have a good night as well you too brother